0: To think of two rulers or monarchs from any point in history who are completely different in style and temperament. There's so many that we could choose from. I thought of King Henry VIII and our current queen, Queen Elizabeth II. It would be hard to imagine two more different monarchs. Well, our reading today is dominated by two kings who are antithetical in every conceivable way. King Herod and King Jesus. King Herod was a proud, self-centered, paranoid, violent megalomaniac who would stop at nothing to hold on to power. By contrast, Jesus is the most amazing example of humility that the world has ever seen. He is the God of the universe who gave up his power and allowed violence to be done to him for the benefit of those Who put him on the cross. Um, With the birth of Jesus, we see a clash of two kingdoms. The kingdom of this world, of which Herod was a representative, and the kingdom of God. And we don't have to wait for Jesus to grow up to see this clash. We see it immediately when Jesus is still an infant. And these two kingdoms are diametrically opposed. They always have been ever since human beings rejected God's sovereignty. And they will be until Jesus returns to make all things new. Uh, Matthew's gospel highlights this clash from beginning to end, but at two points in particular. Uh, The birth narrative that we're reading today and the account of Jesus' arrest, trial and crucifixion. Interestingly, those are the only two points in Matthew's gospel where Jesus is actually referred to as king, his birth and his death. So there's a clash of two kingdoms, a battle between good and evil, a spiritual battle that plays out in the physical world. And today's passage highlights three positions that we can take in that battle. Because we see three very different responses to the arrival of this new king, Jesus. There's the Magi, there's King Herod, and there's the chief priests and teachers of the law. Firstly, the Magi. A lot of what we think we know about them has been added to what we actually find here in Matthew's gospel. We don't know that there were three of them. There's no indication that they were kings. And we certainly don't know their names. What we do know is that they were astronomers of some kind and that they'd come from the east. So they had travelled a long way to visit Jesus. And this idea of them following a star might seem almost a bit fairy tale-like to us. uh, But in the ancient world, it was very common to connect unusual happenings in the night sky with significant events and people down below. The planets had real meaning in the ancient world. For example, Jupiter was the royal planet. Saturn was the planet that represented Israel. Uh, It's not hard to see how certain configurations could lead a group of ancient astronomers to Israel in search of a king. But the truly amazing thing uh, about this is that the Magi travelled so far with so little to go on, with the express intention of worshipping Jesus. Their position in the battle is very clear. And then we have Herod, a puppet king controlled by Rome. He didn't have any legitimate right to the throne. And when he hears about the one who has been born king of the Jews, he's filled with paranoia, jealousy, and rage. Uh, Some have questioned whether Herod really did order the execution of all the baby boys in Bethlehem under the age of two. Uh, After all, we don't have any other historical sources to confirm this, Uh, but it would be completely in keeping with his character. Uh, Bethlehem was a very small town. Uh, the number of boys under the age of 2 may not even have made double figures. Uh, some historians estimate it, it may be even around 30 uh, boys of that age, uh, certainly not a lot more. Uh, that is a drop in the ocean compared to Herod's other massacres. He killed off everyone uh, who uh, was connected with those who ruled before him. So that was the Hasmonean dynasty. He slaughtered more than half of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. On one occasion, he killed 300 court officials on a whim. He executed his own Hasmonean wife, uh, her mother, and three of his sons. And on his deathbed, he had all the most prominent men of Jerusalem rounded up and detained in the stadium. And he gave orders uh, that they should all be uh, executed as soon as his own death had been announced. You see, Herod wanted to ensure that there'd be a great mourning in Jerusalem on the day of his death, and there was just not for him, for all those people that he'd massacred. Herod was violently opposed to all that is just and right and good. Herod was violently opposed to Jesus and his kingdom. And finally, we have the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They were the spiritual leaders of the nation. They studied the scriptures. They knew exactly where the Messiah was meant to be born in Bethlehem. They were the ones who were supposed to be watching and waiting for this great day. They should have been the first to go and worship Jesus and announce the good news, but they weren't. They were caught napping. They were at best disinterested and at worst complicit in Herod's evil scheme. They don't play a huge part in this narrative, but they are there in the background. And their response, or their lack of it, tells us exactly where they are positioned in the battle. Their indifference puts them in opposition to Jesus. But the battle that's highlighted here in Matthew 2, this clash of two kingdoms, is just as real for us. It's raging all around us. And we have to take sides. We have to decide which kingdom we belong to. The kingdom of Jesus or the kingdom of the world. Herod wanted to do away with Jesus. The world still wants to do away with Jesus. In other parts of the world, that takes the form of very severe persecution. We know of places where Christians can find themselves imprisoned or, or, or even facing execution simply because of their faith. In China, in northern Nigeria, in Syria, there's a growing list of places where this is the case. Uh, In the Western world, uh, the methods of eradicating Jesus are not as violent, but they're no less prevalent. The secularization of the Western world is another manifestation of this clash of two kingdoms. And here in Australia, the role of Herod is played by an increasingly secular and anti-God culture. So what about the church? What role does the church play in this drama? Well, the church has a choice. It can follow the example of the chief priests and the teachers of the law, or it can follow the example of the magi, and I think we see both in today's church. The chief priests were insipid, fruitless, and ineffectual. Uh, They they were just there, but they do nothing to further God's kingdom. In fact, they were closely aligned with Herod. They were at his beck and call. Uh, And that might have been a survival tactic. After all, Herod was liable to turn on them at any moment. But if the Herod of today in here in the West is our secular culture, don't we see the same thing happening with parts of the church? A church that tickles the tummy of the culture and wants to appease it, lest the culture should turn on the church even more than it already has. We see a church that wants to play it safe, but in so doing, fails to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Uh, And Perhaps the most uh, dramatic example of this in living memory is the German church's complicity with the Nazis in the 1930s, and 40s, although there are many other examples that we could give all the way up to the present day. So we see uh, this in the church, but I think we also see it in our individual lives, perhaps not all the time, but certainly on occasions. We don't make it clear enough which kingdom we belong to. We don't take our gifts to Jesus and worship him. We've been caught napping. And so our proclamation of the gospel is uh, often or at times weak or even non-existent. Uh, But it doesn't have to be that way. We can follow the example of the Magi. They undertook a long and dangerous journey. They didn't count the cost. Uh, They didn't stay at home where it was safe and comfortable. They didn't seem to care what other people thought of them. They simply came to Jesus and bowed before him in worship, and presented their gifts. After which, they defied Herod. They didn't go back and tell Herod where Jesus could be found. And you know what? We don't have to dance to the tune of a secular culture. We don't have to blend in like the chief priests and teachers of the law. We don't have to go with the flow. We're called to worship Jesus with every part of our life and being. We are called to proclaim the good news. We are called to be different. But you notice how God's protection is evident throughout this narrative. The Magi are warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, so they return to their own country by another route. Joseph is warned again in a dream by an angel uh, that he needs to take his family uh, out of the the region, uh, take them to Egypt and stay there until Herod is dead. And that's what he does. So Herod's evil intentions are thwarted. God's plan remains on track. Now this doesn't mean that nothing bad will ever happen to Christians, but it does mean that God's sovereign plan cannot fail. Whatever happens to us in this life, we have the assurance that not only are we on the right side, but we are also on the winning side. John 1 verse 5 says this, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Isn't that what we see with this narrative? Herod trying to kill Jesus before uh, he's even uh, grown to, to adulthood. And we see it even more clearly with Jesus' death and resurrection. We see the world's response to this great saviour. Trying to snuff him out, kill him, crucify him. But the the, the grave couldn't hold Jesus. He birthed forth and he rose to new and everlasting life. The darkness cannot extinguish the light. So as we head into 2010, 20, we want to make our position in the battle clear. We belong to Jesus. The world hates Jesus. That is the reality. The world hates Jesus and wants to do away with him. That was Herod's position. Uh, Many, even within the church, are indifferent to the truth of the gospel. They just want to sidle up alongside the prevailing culture. That was the position of the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Well, we don't fit into either of those categories. We want to worship Jesus. We want to sing it from the rooftops. We want the good news to be known. We want to follow the example of the Magi and take our stand with Jesus. So let's resolve to do that more than ever in this year ahead as we enter into a new decade. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this uh, theme of darkness, of light, of good and bad, of good and evil even. Uh, This is a familiar theme. We see it in films. We hear it in songs. We see it in the world around us. And we don't see it any more clearly than this uh, in in Matthew's Gospel, where he makes it so plain that there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of God, And we need to choose which one, which of those kingdoms we're in. And Heavenly Father, we pray that every day we will choose to remain in your kingdom, to remain in your love, to live our lives differently, to live our lives selflessly, to put you and your kingdom first, and to worship you with all that we have, with all the gifts that you have given us. Heavenly Father, we pray that in 2020, you will ignite our faith and our passion in a whole new way. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.